Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Why do we have three blessings? So there's a discussion whether it's two blessings or three blessings. One says two blessings, because the second blessing, Vaharevna on page eight, doesn't start with a blessing, Baruch Hashem. The first one starts with a blessing, Baruch Hashem, The third blessing, the blessing that we make also before when we called up to the Torah, starts out with a blessing, Baruch Hashem. The middle one doesn't start with Baruch Hashem. So that's a proof that it's one blessing. And look, we say Viharevna. The Vav is a connector. And it's like a continuation. And according to this opinion, you don't make an Amen. You don't say Amen after the first blessing. Because it's in your middle of a blessing. You only say the Amen when you conclude the blessing. Even though we, we have a principle. That whenever you have like a string of blessings, the opening blessing of the first blessing could cover the second blessing. So maybe, maybe it is a separate blessing. Maybe the second blessing is a separate blessing. And the reason why it doesn't start with the opening, Baruch Ata Hashem, because it's a continuation of the first blessing. So that's actually a dispute, because some say that you only say that when the first blessing concludes with a blessing. Like in the Shmonesri, in the Shmonesri, only the first blessing starts with a blessing. And all the other blessings, the opening doesn't start with Baruch Hashem. Why? Because it's all a continuation from the first blessing. Why? Because every blessing ends with a blessing. Baruch Hashem. So when the opening of the next blessing is right next to the closing, when it, ends, when it closes with a blessing, then you can say it's a continuation. But a short blessing like this one, which doesn't close with a blessing, it doesn't close with a blessing. It starts with a blessing. Baruch Hashem, like all the blessings of the mitzvah. But it doesn't say close with a blessing. The third blessing starts with a blessing and closes with a blessing. It's a longer blessing. But the first blessing doesn't close with a blessing. So in this case, you can't say that the second blessing is a, is a, is a continuation of the first blessing. So it should have started with a blessing. So the fact that it doesn't start with a blessing t- teaches me that it's a continuation. Others say no, argue no. That even... Even a short blessing like this one, a first blessing here, a short blessing that does not conclude with a Baruch HaTashem, the next blessing, there's no need to start again with Baruch HaTashem. It's because it's still a continuation of the first blessing, the opening of the first blessing. The opening of the first blessing could also go for the opening of the second blessing. So it is an independent blessing. And nevertheless, it doesn't start with, with Baruch HaTashem. Now, according to all opinions, you have to ask, why, do, why does the third blessing start with Baruch HaTashem? According to both of these opinions, the third blessing comes after the conclusion of a blessing. Baruch HaTashem, Hamalam Yisrael. So you should have gone straight into the third blessing without the opening of Baruch HaTashem. But here you have to say, according to everyone, the reason why you start with a blessing is because this blessing you also find elsewhere when it's the first blessing. Before you called up to the Torah, you start out with this blessing. Then you only make one blessing. So since then, you start out with Baruch HaTashem. It's the independent blessing. So here too, you also start out as an independent blessing. You start out with the Baruch HaTashem. 
The Arizal, Al-Tarebi quotes, the Arizal held that it's two separate blessings. It's, so altogether you have three blessings. Nevertheless, the, to make everyone happy, we add the Vav, the connector. So Vaharev, so even if it's a separate blessing, it doesn't hurt to say Vaharev. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's, that it's a continuation. It could be a separate blessing. And according to the other opinion, he's happy that it's, one, it's part of one blessing. But according to the Arizal, the Al-Tarebbe says, we follow the Arizal, it is three blessings. And you should answer, I mean, after the first blessing. Why three blessings? So we established that it's not a regular, the blessing for the studying of Torah is not like a regular mitzvah. It's not like all the other blessings for mitzvah. It's unique, something unique about Torah that's special. Why three blessings? Or according to the other opinion, two blessings. So according to the opinion that says two blessings, he says, the first blessing we make is for the oral Torah. The first two, which are one blessing, a single blessing. So we're blessing Hashem for the oral Torah. We say um, in our mouth, it should continue in the mouth of our children, is referring to, it should be sweet to us, Referring to the studying of Torah, which is the oral Torah. You have to study the Torah. It has to be verbal. It's called the Torah Shabbat Peh. The oral Torah that trans- transmitted verbally. And we transmit it to our children, our children to their children. So it's referring to the oral Torah. The second blessing, which is the blessing, which is the same blessing we make when we're called up to the Torah. That's for the reading of the Torah. That's for the blessing of the Torah. Why do we reverse the order? First, we should make a blessing for the written Torah. And then we should make a blessing for the oral Torah. Why do we first make a blessing for the oral Torah and then a blessing for the written Torah? Because there's something very sweet and special about the oral Torah. It says, Vaharev, it should be sweet. The Talmud says, Hashem says, the words of the rabbis are sweeter to me than the words of the Torah. So this is the essence of, this is the essence of the Torah in a way. It's really the oral Torah. Because without the oral Torah, I wouldn't have a clue how to fulfill the 613 mitzvah. The Torah was written in code. The written Torah was written in code. Very cryptic. I have no idea how to do a mitzvah. The, the, the tefillin should be between your eyes. Oh, it means on my nose? It, the, the tefillin should be on your hand. Oh, I'm in the palm of my hand. Where? It doesn't tell me how, what, when, where. Keep Shabbat. What, when, where, how. No details. I'm clueless. I have no idea. Without the oral Torah to flesh out and to tell me all the details and specifics exactly, precisely what Hashem desires, what He wants, I really have no idea. And that's why the oral Torah is, is precise. Those, there were many groups who, who only accepted the written Torah and denied the oral Torah. There's a big, uh, big uh, conservative radio show host and he boasts, he says, I don't believe in the oral Torah, I only believe in the written Torah, Okay. So we're trying to say, on the contrary, this is the essence, this is the soul of Judaism. You can't really be a Jew unless you accept the oral Torah. This is what kept the Jewish people going for thousands of years. Once you accept the oral Torah, and the challenges, most of the challenges were to the oral Torah. Many people accepted the written Torah. So we want to strengthen the oral Torah, and that's why first we make a blessing on the oral Torah, then we make a blessing on, on the written Torah. However, those who say fascinating that the reason why we make three blessings is the first blessing we make on the written Torah because it's unanimous in the Talmud everyone holds that before you study the written Torah you have to make a blessing the one opinion then the Talmud says no even Mishnah 
Uh, Talmud says no, even Talmud and even Medrash. And the conclusion is you have to make a blessing for the Torah no matter what you study in Torah. So the first blessing is for the written Torah. The second blessing is for the Mishnah. The third blessing is for the, is for the Medrash. And that's why we say later on in Davening, and those that make these three blessings right before, first we quote the Torah, the paragraph in the Torah that tells us about the daily sacrifices, the obligation for the daily sacrifices. And then we quote the incense from the Torah. And then we, the Mishnah of Zavachim, the Mishnah, the chapter 5 of Zavachim, about the laws of the sacrifices. And then we have the, the Medrash, Rabbi Shmuel Oimer, the beginning of Sifra, the Medrash on, the, on Leviticus, about the 13 principles of the Torah from where we derive all the, all the laws of the Torah. So we make three blessings corresponding to these three things. So it's interesting. According to the first explanation, according to the explanation that the two blessings are one, why do we have two blessings? One is for the oral Torah, and the next blessing is for the written Torah. Shabbat Banu is for the written Torah. Here we're saying the exact opposite. We're saying the first blessing is for studying the written Torah. Then the second one is for the Mishnah. And the third one is for the Medr. Also, men, some say the first blessing is the mitzvah. You have an obligation to study Torah, so you make a blessing. Like all other mitzvahs, you make one blessing. You commanded us, he gave us a mitzvah to study Torah. The words of Torah. Then we say praise. We praise Hashem. We praise Hashem. It should be sweet. And we ask Hashem a prayer, which also sh- indicates that it's a separate blessing. The first blessing, we're thanking Hashem for the mitzvah that He commanded us. The second blessing, we're praying Hashem for the future. We're praying Hashem, our children to study Torah, our grandchildren. And, you know, it's a prayer. We should study Torah properly with the proper intent. And then the third blessing is we're praising Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for choosing us. And thank you, Hashem, for giving us this gift, for giving us your Torah, and for giving us this, this gift each and every day. With you learn Hasidus, it all makes sense because you have three different approaches to Torah. There are those who approach Torah that it's duties, obligations. You have your duties, you have obligations, you have your commandments. God is our employer, we are his employee. We have our responsibilities, we're adults. We do our responsibility, take care of our responsibility, and Hashem takes care of His responsibility. At the end of the day, we get a paycheck, a nice paycheck, we get, and then He gives us bonuses, and we get in this world, the world to come, there's paychecks and there's bonuses, and there's all sorts of rewards. You did your thing, I'll take care of you. You come to work, do what you have to do, and Hashem says, I'll take care of you and your family and all your needs, and you live comfortably. And That's like the written Torah. Torah gives us commandments, obligations. You know what you have to do. You know your responsibilities. And Hashem commits to take care of His responsibilities. And, okay, it's a contract. And uh, we sign the contract. We commit it. It's a commitment. Hashem commits. We commit. And we're in business. That's the first blessing. That's one way of looking at the Torah. Then there's a deeper way of looking at the Torah. It should be sweet. Our children. This refers to the Mishnah. This refers to the oral Torah. This refers to the rabbis. As the Talmud says, my children, the words of my children are sweeter to me. It's like a parent-child relationship. We look at Hashem not as our employer. 
We don't look at the Torah so coldly as obligations and duties and responsibilities. It's a parent-child relationship. A child respects the wishes of his parents. And a child knows his parent. The parent says one word. He just has to hint. And it's enough. Because children are their parents. We think like our parents because we are our parents. A parent says one thing. My best friend doesn't really understand me. My child knows exactly. He's inside my head. My child knows exactly how I think. Because he is me. I am him and he is me. So Hashem says one word in the Torah. And the rabbis make a whole tractate. A few verses. A whole tractate. Where, where did you find it exactly in the Torah? Where did it say in the Torah? Don't cook milk and meat, and we already have all the laws of mixing milk and meat. Where exactly? But you know, it's like a child-parent relationship. So there's a sweetness. When Torah is more than just duties, obligations, a mitzvah, you command it, you do what you have to, and finish. It's much deeper. It's a parent-child relationship. We learn Torah because we want to get into Hashem's mind. What Hashem hints, and we, we Rabbi Kiva, every letter, every, every crown of every letter, Hashem is telling us something. And he spent his whole life learning from everything in the Torah. There's nothing extra in the Torah. The, the words, the letters, the Nakuda, the way it's written, the way it's spelled, the way it's written, the way it's read, the, uh, the trap, the taimim, the, the, the notes, the tagging, the, everything. Everything is teaching me something. Hashem is hinting at something much deeper. There's much more than just the word. So that's a deeper learning of Torah. But then you have the ultimate. Hashem chose us. And when we say this blessing that He chose us, as the Torah says, we have to have in mind, He chose us at Sinai. What happened at Sinai? God married the Jewish people. Hashem chose us, our body. He chose us physically. When do you make this blessing? When you called up to the Torah. The Torah is physical. It's like a marriage. The relationship of marriage is physical. It's not just intellectual. It's not just cerebral. It's not just emotional, psychological, spiritual. It's physical. It's total. What do you mean you marry to Hashem? You marry to Hashem, you study Torah the way Hashem studies Torah. Hashem studied Torah before the world even existed. The way Hashem is alone and He's studying Torah for Himself. In other words, when you marry to Hashem, you want to know not only what Hashem wanted, what His wishes. What are the 630 mitzvahs? That's Hashem's wishes. That's what He wants. He wants us to do. But you go deeper. You get into the pleasure. Why did Hashem want? What's the purpose of it all? What's the point? What does Hashem desire? Why did He want us to do the mitzvot? What's it all about? If your relationship is only superficial, even if it's a parent-child relationship. So, okay, you you know what Hashem wants. You go into every detail and every hint and everything. What Hashem, you flesh it out exactly what Hashem wanted. That's the title Shabbat, the oral title, the mission. But when you get into the drush, and the Agadah, and most of the secrets of the Torah are in, in the Agadah, in the, in the Drush. What are, you, what are you looking for? What you really want to know is, you want to know what Hashem is thinking. Like in a marriage, you become intimate, you want to know how your spouse is thinking. 
what excites them, what, what, what's behind the scene, not the surface, where that pleasure is. Intimacy is pleasure. You want to get to know the pleasure of the person. You want to get to know what the essence of the person is all about, what motivates them, what drives them, what they care about, what they get excited about. That's behind, behind even the will. That's much deeper. That's the deepest depth of the person. You want to get to the deepest depth of the Torah. You want to study the Torah, the same Torah that Hashem is learning. The Torah is Hashem's plaything, Hashem's pleasure. So you ask yourself the question, you share with Hashem, you enter into Hashem's mind, Hashem's world, Hashem's pleasure. What is the purpose of this all? What is Hashem's plan? What is the purpose? What is the goal? What am I accomplishing? So it's not enough for me just to know what Hashem wants and to do exactly what Hashem wants. I have to go much deeper than that. Why Hashem wants it? Why this gives Hashem pleasure? What's His goal? What's His purpose? What's His bigger picture? What does Hashem, what does Hashem want out of this? Many people are satisfied. They say, I can go through my whole life. It doesn't bother me. I, I sleep like a baby at night. I never ask myself once. One of the biggest Torah scholars in one of the biggest places in the world, I don't want to mention the name, said, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I don't, sleep, I don't lose any sleep at night. Why did Hashem create the world? What's His purpose? Well, it's, what, what do I care? I mean, all I care about, this is what Hashem wants, and I'm, I do what Hashem wants. It's enough for me. I study His Torah all day, and I do His mitzvot, and I'm happy, and I don't care. I don't lose any sleep at night. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't, I don't question. I don't ask any questions. It doesn't bother me. I don't care to know. Why did Hashem create the world? What's the purpose? What's it all about? But that's because it's not a marriage. If you're truly married to Hashem, that's not, it's not enough. You really want to get to the pleasure. You want to get to intimate with Hashem. You want to go to the inside, know Hashem in His core, in His essence. What gives Hashem pleasure? Why did Hashem want mitzvot? What's it all about? And then it becomes a total marriage. He chose us, our body, our physical, every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, we become one with Hashem. And that's the blessing you make on the Torah scroll. The Torah scroll is physical. Everything else is, is, is the oral Torah is transmitted verbally. But here it's physical, like marriage, intimacy, it's physical. It's totality. It's all-encompassing. It engages every part of it. And that's why we thank Hashem for this gift. To us, we look at Torah as a way to become intimate with Hashem, with the essence of Hashem. So this is the beginning of prayer. It belongs in prayer. Because Torah is... Hashem allowed us to peek beneath, behind the curtain. Hashem is taking us from behind the curtain and is allowing us to view reality from His point of view, how He views reality. It's a different reality. It's a different world. It's a different reality. And we see that today. Without Torah, like people are living in delusions. Completely delusionary. There's no substance, there's no reality, there's no truth, there's no reality. It's all completely delusionary. Even such simple things as distinction between a man and a man and a woman, completely delusionary and, and completely, they, they can't even figure that out. Without the Torah, without looking at reality from Hashem, looking at reality from the only point of view, ultimately, which is Hashem's point of view, because there is no other point of view, there is no other reality. Only then does the world 
have a substance, the world have a reality. It's only the Torah that gives substance and stability to the world. Without the Jews receiving the Torah, the world is in chaos. The world had no stability. As we see today, without Torah, the world is completely chaotic, completely unstable. But when you look at Torah, when you look at the world from the Torah, from Hashem's point of view, you have substance, you have stability, you have reality. So this is the gift of the Torah. So for a Jew, studying Torah is not just a duty. We're obligated to study Torah. Or I must study Torah in order to, to know my obligations. Ignorance is not an excuse. If you have the ability, you have to study Torah. To know. You can't say, I didn't know the law. You have to study. It's not an excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse. You have to study. No, but to a Jew, studying Torah is much more than that. I just study Torah for the sake of studying Torah. For becoming intimate with Hashem. To be able to embrace Hashem, to be intimate with Hashem. And that's what excites me about studying Torah. And that's the blessing of the Torah. You say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu. You're bringing godliness into the study. There's a godly aspect. You look at Torah as, as, as a privilege. You look at, at Torah as, this is our identity. This is my essence. My essence is Torah. Everything I do is Torah. This is my mission statement. And we're so proud to be the torch bearers of the Torah. We carry the Torah. And we transmit it to our children and their, to their children. It's been transmitted from our parents to us. We have the privilege of carrying the Torah. So this is very much an essential part of what prayer is. Because everything in our life is part of Torah. Including prayer. You can't have prayer if you don't understand what Torah is. Torah is, is the core. Torah is the essence. Torah is our being. Torah is who we are. Torah is our mission statement. Torah is the blueprint for reality. Torah is everything. Torah is God's perspective. But it's through prayer that Torah comes alive. By making the blessing over the Torah, which is like the prayer. We're revealing, we're drawing down and revealing the godliness in Torah. Then through prayer the Torah comes alive. All the potential of the Torah comes alive to pray. Otherwise, Torah could become a poison. Torah could fuel my ego. Ah, look how smart I am. Look how brilliant I am. Look what a scholar I am. And instead of studying Torah humbly, because I'm studying something that's infinite, that's godly, I, I approach it with tremendous humility. Rashi, before he wrote his commentary, fasted, fasted. He approached it with trepidation. I'm about to interpret Hashem's words. So with all his brilliance, Rashi fasted. When a Jew studies Torah, you approach it with trepidation. You're dealing here with godly. This is not science, physics, math. It's not showing how brilliant I am. You're studying the infinite. You're studying Hashem's mind. You approach it with a sense of awe and humility and it humbles you and it makes you a better person. Then the Torah that you study changes you. Moshe was the most humble person that ever lived. Moshe received the Torah. Every bit of Torah that he studied affected him, transformed him, changed him, made him a better person. That's the test. If you study Torah and it makes you love your fellow Jew even more, it makes you more egoless, and more humble, then you know that you're on the right track. Then you know that you said the blessing of the Torah before you study Torah. It means you draw down godliness. You're studying Torah, you have the right approach, the right attitude, the right appreciation, the humbling experience of being able and being privileged to study Torah and be part of Torah, and that's my life, and that's my essence, and everything in my life is guided by the Torah. 
It's a Torah of life. It's a Torah of light and illumination. Inspiration. But if the Torah doesn't make you humble, the Torah only fuels your ego and your arrogance, that's because you didn't pray. You didn't make the blessing of the Torah before the Torah. You have no appreciation of the preciousness, holiness of the Torah, of the godliness of Torah. And that's what prayer is all about. It's an encounter with godliness, an encounter with Hashem. Torah is an encounter with Hashem. And if to you, Torah is not an encounter with Hashem, it's just fulfilling a duty and obligation to study, or to be able to know how to do mitzvah, or just to prove my brilliance, then you're telling a joke and you're missing the punchline. There's nothing sadder. You're religious, you're doing all your obligations, and it's soulless, joyless, passionless, full of ego and I, no humility, no refinement, no egolessness, no kindness, no love, no goodness that comes out of that Torah study. That's a Torah study that's poison. Nevertheless, the rabbis say, and we'll conclude with this, and next week we'll learn it inside, the rabbis say, nevertheless, that a person should always study Torah you should also study Torah even not for the sake, for the right purpose because by studying Torah not for the right purpose eventually you'll be motivated to study Torah for the right motivation and you have to start that way children, children can't start to they don't appreciate studying Torah for Torah's sake so you have to bribe them with a candy a trip, a reward but once they get used to it's like training wheels. Once they get used to learning Torah, then you can off with the training wheels. They don't need it anymore. They're self-motivated. So the question is, how can you be so certain that a person will study Torah, eventually will come to study Torah for the right motivation? So Hasidah says, look carefully in the language of the rabbis. Because deep down, deep down inside, our soul is a life of its own. So deep down, your soul studies Torah for all the right reasons. You don't feel it consciously. So when you're actually studying Torah, you are motivated for, for, for egotistical motives. But the truth is, your neshama is, is motivated with pure motivation. So inevitably, that will emerge. Since that is your core, that is your essence, even though it's subconscious, inevitably that will emerge. But the Rebbe says, according to Hasidus, according to the Baal Shem Tev, it's much deeper than that. He says the real explanation is that even your, even your egotistical motivation deep down, is also a godly motivation. And he makes a distinction. If your ego motivation is you're studying Torah because you want to become wealthy, because you know if you study Torah, you're going to be honored, you'll be wealthy, you'll be successful. So it's an ego motive. You're not studying Torah for pure motives. You're studying because you want to get the reward, you want to get the wealth. So it's something to, to frown upon. But nevertheless, we say... Let him study Torah as long as he's studying Torah. And eventually, like the training wheels, he'll learn to appreciate Torah for its own sake and he won't need any ulterior motive to study Torah. But the Rebbe says much deeper than that. Why, what's pressing him? What's pushing him? Why is it so important for him that he should be wealthy and he should be successful? He thinks because he likes money. And this is a great way to get money. Hashem promises. If you study Torah, I'm going to reward you. 
But really, deep down, there's a much deeper reason. Because he knows that if a person who studies Torah, serving Hashem, is successful and is wealthy, it'll be a Kiddush Hashem. You'll sanctify Hashem's name. Because people will see that when you study Torah and you do the right thing, it works on every level. You're successful on every level. Not only are you rich emotionally and, and spiritually and soulfully, but it translates even into physical wealth. You'll be rich on every level. You'll be physical well, physically successful, like Yaakov. It says Yaakov came back whole. He was whole in his body. He was healed. He was whole in his, in his, uh, in his Torah. And he was whole financially. He walked away a billionaire from Laban. And all the patriarchs were billionaires. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it, to show you that when you're, when you're wealthy, spiritually, Moshe was wealthy. From the, from the leftovers of the luchas, of the sapphire. Because Torah works on every level. Torah is truth. So if you're wealthy with, uh, in, 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 in the Torah sense, it translates also into wealth in every level. Like the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, everything was wealthy. He, walked, he used to use a golden chariot and he lived like a king. Because Torah, if you're wealthy in Torah, it translates in every level. You have to be wealthy in every level. So you think the motivation, you think you're being motivated to study Torah because you want to be wealthy, because you care about money. That's what you think. But the truth is, that's what the Talmud is saying. If you dig deep down in this ulterior motive, the truth is why, what's pushing you so much that you have to be wealthy? Because deep down you want to study Torah for Hashem's sake. And you know, you want to make a sanctify Hashem's name. You want to show the world that when you study Torah for Hashem's sake and you study Torah and you're wealthy in Torah, you will also be wealthy and successful materially in all levels. But you don't know that. But that's the truth. As the Baal says, when the Jew is hungry, you think you're hungry because your body is hungry. No. You're really hungry for the godly spark. Something gets lost in the translation. So it's not just that your soul is connected, that deep down inside your soul is connected. No. Even your body is connected. Your body has, has, has an urge. I have to be wealthy. So I'm studying Torah. I have to eat because I'm hungry. No. I'm craving. You think you're craving. But the truth is, what you're really craving for, what you're really hungry for, what your body is really hungry for is for the godliness, the godly spark. So your ulterior motive that you're hungry for money, you're craving for money and for success, and that's why you're studying Torah. Deep down, the real motivation behind that motive is you want to be wealthy because you want to sanctify Hashem's name because you want to show that when you study Torah, you're successful on all levels. Versus if your motivation is truly a negative motivation. Like you just want to use the Torah to distort the Torah. Or, or to fight with the rabbis, so then that's poison, that's toxic, that nothing good. There's no good motivation in that motivation. That, that, that you have to shut down. That's absolutely negative. Nothing good will ever come from that. And there's no hidden motivation. But we're talking about if a person doesn't have a negative motivation. We're talking about an, an ulterior motivation. You want to be wealthy. I'm not studying Torah for, for, for pure reasons. I have an ulterior motive. So we say that in that ulterior motive, deep down there's also a positive motive. That's why Jews should continue learning, even if you have ulterior motive, because deep down, really what motivates you is godliness. So this is the essence of prayer. It's connecting with godliness. Feel as we discussed in the introduction, 
it's on, online, myprayerclass.com, is connecting with godliness. That's the root of the word tefillah, connection. And that's what Torah is all about. It's connecting with godliness. When do you realize that Torah is about connecting with godliness? And many Jews who go to yeshiva and are orthodox and are religious, and that's not, that's not what drives them. That's not what they think about. 24-7 that I'm studying Torah because I'm godly and I'm connecting with godliness and it's holy and it's not on the top of their mind because that's because you don't pray when you make a blessing before you study the Torah and you introduce you reveal the godly aspect of studying Torah and this is the core and essence and this is the essence of prayer then the Torah becomes a godly experience and then the Torah becomes an illuminating Torah it becomes a drug of life it becomes a, a medicine of life and it illuminates your life, and you, it, it, you, it vitalizes you, and rejuvenates you. And then every day, and every moment, you feel plugged in, you feel connected, you feel joyful, you study Torah joyfully, you do the mitzvah joyfully, and you're eager to do the mitzvah, and you're excited about doing the mitzvah. And then you're not just looking at duty or obligation. I study Torah way beyond my duty, way beyond my obligation. It's not about duty or obligation. It's about connecting with Hashem and I can't get enough. Hashem is infinite. His Torah is infinite. And I'm not just studying Torah because of duty or obligation. I'm just studying Torah for the sake of studying Torah, for the sake of embracing Hashem, becoming intimate with Hashem, connecting with Hashem. That's what fuels me. That's what drives me. That's what excites me. That's what I look forward to. And then my whole day is different. And the Torah then elevates me, inspires me, and puts me in a whole different place and my household, and my family, and my home, becomes a whole different experience. Was this studying Torah right now? <laughs> yes. Or was this just learning Torah? This was studying Torah. You have to learn the Siddur, and you have to daven the Gemara. Mm-hmm.